In today's episode of the Legendary Life Podcast, we welcome Alex Viata. Alex is the co-owner of Complete Human Performance and the creator of the Hybrid Training Method. And I'll tell you, I'm so excited to have this guy on the show today. He's a true game changer in the fitness industry. He's a guy who is lifting 700 pounds, but also competing in these ultra endurance events. And he's going to tell you how he does that and why it's based on the principles of physiology and the human body. So if you've ever thought to yourself, oh, bro, I can't, I can't go running or I can't do Ironmans or triathlons or swim at all or do anything for more than 12 reps because it's going to ruin your gains, he's going to tell you why that's not true. In fact, he's going to tell you why if you're not doing some type of aerobic exercise, like I've mentioned previously, that you are probably not as healthy as you think. And Alex is going to share his story of how he came to this realization. And he's going to share what you can do to take your wellness, your health, your fitness to the next level. On top of all that, Alex is an awesome guy, and in spite of his tremendous knowledge about the science of human performance, he breaks it down in a way that's easy to understand. I know I've had some pretty technical interviews on this show before, and perhaps some of my episodes have been a bit too science-y, but Alex breaks it down easily. He's a great communicator, a great teacher, and I'm so excited to have him on the show today. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Alex Viata. Alex Viata, welcome to the Legendary Light Podcast. Hey, thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because you're a game changer in the fitness industry. You are a guy who I found out about maybe a couple years ago when I saw a picture of you and you are a jacked individual. You're you're muscular, but you weren't lifting weights in that picture. You were running either a marathon or an ultra marathon or an Ironman. It was part of, actually, it was probably an Ironman. And you're a guy who you've deadlifted 700 pounds, you know, you lift a lot of weight, you're strong, you look strong, but you also compete in these endurance activities and come to find out that you've coached over 700 athletes in their respective sports, getting people like CrossFitters in shape and, and also preparing people like the, the case study you just mentioned before we hopped on the 350 pound guy who is now running a 10K, a a huge individual, and he's doing it without beating himself up. So I wanted to have you on and just really happy to have you here, man. Hey, thanks very much. Yeah, no, that that picture was actually from the the Beach to Battleship Half Ironman. That was a, a couple of years ago. Apparently, they just got bought out by Ironman Company. But um, yeah, since then, love triathlons. I've done uh, Ironman Cozumel a couple times, and uh, those are a little more enjoyable than the uh, the marathon, the road running, just because I uh, have a lot more fun on the bike than I do running around on the road. But still, great events. Yeah, and and rumor has it that you squatted so much weight that your face started to bleed through your pores. <laughs> yeah, that was actually... Um, yeah, it was a couple of years ago. I still have a picture of it. This is uh, back when I was messing around with uh, a little bit of single ply lifting gear. 
you know, for any listeners who, who aren't familiar with it, uh, in powerlifting, there's a, a category where you can wear essentially supportive equipment, bench shirts, uh, squat suits, things like that. And uh, they transiently jack up your blood pressure while you're lifting. And, you know, you'll see people get bloody noses. But, um, yeah, no, I, re- I remember this was at the gym. And, uh, you know, I, I walked the weight out, squatted it. And as I re-racked it, a drop of blood hit the floor. And, you know, I'm looking around and my nose isn't bleeding. My eyes aren't bleeding. I said, where the heck did that come from? And uh, my spotter pointed to my face and says, you, you just started bleeding out of your cheek. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, an odd experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty strange. How much weight was on the bar? Well, this was when I was messing with single ply. So it was actually over 800, which is I certainly didn't quite get into competition depth there. But um, that was about, you know, anybody who was hanging around uh, Duke University's weight room about two years ago probably remembers it. That was about as uh, as heavy as I ever went, and that right there, I got to be honest, it uh, it scared the heck out of me. <laughs> yeah, you one false move, and there goes your vertebrae. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh man, and you know, I was having fun with it, but at the same time, you know, risk reward. I was thinking, ah, you know what? Maybe if walking this kind of weight out is just not a good thing for me anymore. <laughs> Yeah, no, well, absolutely. And and that's what we're going to get into today because there's the people listening right now are probably not interested in, you know, squatting 800 pounds bleeding through their face or possibly even <laughs> doing a triathlon. But you have a really interesting backstory, Alex. And, and I know before we jumped on, we want to talk about the case studies of who you work with. But mm-hmm. let's get a little bit of a background because you do this thing, hybrid training, Mm-hmm. Right. And you're kind of breaking rules or kind of bro science rules, really. Right. And we can right. get to that. But people are like, hey, you can't be a guy who does triathlons and squats 800 pounds or deadlifts 700 pounds. But you're breaking that rule. And not only that, you're getting people to break those rules because you understand the body. So, how did you get to this? point where that's what you're doing. What was the development from when you started as an athlete in fitness to where you're at now? Well, you know, I I guess going way back, I mean, I've I've been probably athletic or an athlete all my life. I mean, you know, my mom threw me in the pool at the age of four and, you know, had me start competing in swim meets when we lived overseas at about the age of five. And, uh, you know, I was always, always active through high school. You know, I, I loved playing. I loved playing football. You know, I loved uh, track. I loved tennis. You know, I loved all these different sports. And, of course, you know, when you go to college, especially Division One college, if you were never good enough to, you know, get on one of the teams, I, you know, I more or less quit everything. Long story there, gained a lot of weight, lost a lot of weight, and finally said, okay, you know, I've got to gotta focus this somehow. And I really just got into, into weight training, into serious weight training. I liked the, the fact that you didn't have to have a team for it. I liked the way it made me look. I liked the way it made me feel. And really got seriously into it for a couple of years and, you know, made great progress. Then it was, uh, it was a couple of years into that, and, you know, I'd gotten extremely strong in that time that I was actually talked into just kind of, uh, well, okay, so I got talked into signing up for a 5K. And, okay. You know, yeah, so, you know, and I had done track in high school, you know, I did a little bit of cross country. I said, oh, this will be easy. And it really wasn't. I remember the first time I went out for a run, I got less than half a mile. And, you know, I felt like, uh, you know, the, like you, you get that tunnel vision and you're, everything starts closing in on you. And, you know, I really thought, my gosh, you know, here I am. I'm going to die out here (laughs) after just running down the street. And that was really eye-opening for me. I felt like I had done a lot to get in very good shape. And 
you know, sometimes you see these people, these, these jack people, they look like they're in great shape and you think, oh, they're the picture of health. And you know what? After doing that little run and after, you know, finally signing up for the 5K and doing it and getting a pretty mediocre time, I said, you know what? I'm not healthy. You know, I had my blood pressure checked and it was unhealthy. You know, I had my blood lipids checked and they were unhealthy. And, you know, my grandfather had quintuple bypass surgery before he was 60. I mean, he was in his late 50s and was having heart problems. And I said, you know what? This is, this is fun. I feel like I look good. I like being strong. But this is not healthy. And, you know, it's you, you read these things saying, oh, well, you know, you, you can't run or just do high intensity intervals and things like that. And I said, yeah, but that's not going to make me healthy. That's not going to make me, me feel good. And, and let me just go for a 5K run if I want to. Or yeah, that's more like, more like lifting weights almost if you had to make an analogy. Yeah, like exactly. The high intensity training. Exactly. You know, and I can do sprints all day, but that's not going to let me, you know, throw on a backpack and, you know, four or five hour hike with a friend if I want to. So it's, it was really, it was a, it was a gap in my fitness and it was just a gap in my well being that I didn't like. Yeah. And what did your workouts look like? Because there is someone listening right now who I'm sure is in that position. I know I've been in that position too when I stopped competing in, I did jujitsu competitions and you have to have a good aerobic system to compete. But once I stopped, I kind of got out of shape. But there's someone listening right now who's like, hey, I'm looking strong. I feel good. I can lift weight, but I definitely get winded in between sets (laughs) and maybe walking up five flights of stairs. I may have to pause, but I still feel like I look good, but am I not healthy? Can you help that person understand what they're missing? Yeah. You know, it's really funny because I, I've started working with, uh, with a, a lot of actually uh, very good power lifters. And it's funny because these are individuals that even for sports performance say, Hey, all I have to do is get up there. And even in a meet, all I need to do are nine repetitions. You know, there's warm up and everything else, but they say, Hey, I'm a pure strength athlete. That's all that matters. How on earth can this benefit me? And if it can, what should I do? And, you know, I, I tell this story quite a bit, but there's one individual I work with. He's a very, very good power lifter out of Australia. I think he's uh, currently still going for a 400 kilo deadlift, which in freedom units is 880 at a body weight of 220. So he's a strong dude. And um, he mentioned, you know, one of the best things that this did for him is he can now get through his workout. He can put on his knee wraps for squatting without getting winded. He can take less time between sets. He can get more productive work done. And he just feels good. And really all I've got him doing is, you know, three sessions a week. It's kind of evenly divided. You know, I, I'm a big fan of low-intensity training, so I'll have him do a 45 to 50-minute session of low-intensity, low-impact training. I'll have him on the bike for 20 to 30 minutes. He'll do you know 50% of that in intervals and 50% easy. It doesn't take a lot. And I think a lot of people say, oh, you know, I don't want to do cardio. It's just going to be a slog. But the relatively little mental cost that's needed to do it, you know, just get on the bike for 45 minutes, and the payoff and what that does for your workout quality, it can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. And for the guy who probably believes that, okay, well, I'm lifting weights. My heart rate is getting up to about the same level as it would if I were to go for a run. That's working my heart. Can you explain the differences there? The the physio, the difference in adaptations. This is not like a, a hardcore science show, but I think it's important to understand, hey, this is different than this, just because your heart rate is the same. But how would you explain it to that individual and, and what exactly is going on there? Sure. Yeah. And that's actually a really good question because 
you know, there are, there are people who will wear things like the Fitbit for their lifting workout and say, oh man, you know, cause that, that thing will, it'll check your heart rate and tell you how many calories you burn. And they said, man, you know, I, I burned 800 calories lifting today and my heart rate got up to 170. That's gotta be cardio. And it's, it's a little different. And, and the way I explain it to people is your heart is a pretty dumb organ. You know, it pretty much just does what it's told. Uh, you know, if, if heart rate alone was an indicator of uh, cardio, you know, of, of cardiorespiratory stress, then, you know, every time you watched a, a scary movie or had a couple too many shots of espresso, you'd say, oh, well, that's a good cardiovascular workout, but it's not. That's a good point. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And just run around having somebody scare the crap out of you every couple seconds, and there you go. But um, so when you lift weights, when your heart starts to work harder, one of the interesting things about it is one of those conditions, you know, when, when somebody has high blood pressure or a partially occluded arteries, they start to get a condition called LVH, which is left ventricular hypertrophy. That's when the, the part of the heart that pumps blood out into the system starts to grow. The walls start to thicken and enlarge. It's basically because that part of the heart is, is working just like a muscle. You know, it's, it's trying to push against more and more back pressure in, in the blood vessels. And while that's not inherently dangerous, it's usually a sign that, you know, it, it goes along with high blood pressure. It usually is a sign that you've got occluded arteries. But what's interesting is that that over time, that LVH those that heart though it may get bigger is not necessarily healthier because the heart needs to also develop its own blood supply it needs to get uniformly strong and so just weight training and especially when you weight train if you think about it if you're contracting your leg muscles in a squat there's no blood flowing in and out of them right sure you're too tightly contracted your veins are all stopped up and that's why you know that's that's why they'll turn red and all your veins stand out during like you know sets of curls you look at your you know, bicep vein, vein and, and, and take a look at that, there's no blood flowing back to the heart. So for your heart to actually adapt, it needs to actually have blood coming in because that stretch, when the blood comes into the heart, that initial inflow of blood, which is called the preload, actually strengthens the rest of the heart. If all you're doing is weight training, you're only getting 50% of that adaptation equation right there. That low-intensity work, that aerobic work where your muscles are constantly moving, there's not so much pressure that the blood's not flowing back in, that kind of work is absolutely critical because when your heart, you know, you're, when you strain, your heart is struggling to get blood to those working muscles because, you know, they're, they're burning through oxygen, they're burning through glucose, you're building up lactate in them and everything else, you know, they're, they're burning on your 8th rep, ninth rep, 10th rep, so your heart's doing everything it can to get blood to them, but no blood's going back to it. And when you go for a run and your heart rate starts to slowly climb, it's totally different because that entire – all that circulation is going. Your heart's working harder to pump blood out, but there's also a lot more blood pumping back in. That's what you need for complete heart health. If you don't have that as part of your training, you're not actually making your heart any healthier. Yeah, and, and what is that called? It's the eccentric hypertrophy. I, I forget the term from – I learned – a few things about aerobic conditioning from Joel yeah. Jameson. Yes. And, uh, what, Fantastic source. Yeah. Yeah. Anything from eccentric hypertrophy, the, the Frank Starling mechanism, you know, preload on the heart. There are, there are all kinds of terms for it. And, and quite honestly, you know, I'd say there are, there are probably, I would defer to a written source at this point. So I don't uh, stumble over my own words here. That is, that's exactly what's happening right there. That eccentric, you know, filling up the heart, and expanding that right atria and that right ventricle, that's all part of the equation. Yeah. So if you're a guy who just does strength training or in 
intense intervals. You're only going to get that one side of your heart, the left ventricular hypertrophy, because that you're just not getting the, the venous return, right? Exactly. Uh, to, to work the other side of your heart, your right atria. So aerobic exercise is critical for that. And interestingly enough, I'm sure you've read this book as well. John Rady, a medical doctor, wrote a book called Spark, and he it was all about the, the benefits of exercise and how it affects your brain. And mm-hmm. he was saying specifically that aerobic exercise helped release BDNF, I think I said that right. Brain-derived neurotropic factor. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you know a lot more about that than, than me. Can you just talk a little bit about the other benefits of aerobic exercise as, uh, you know, your perspective on that? Sure, yeah. And, you know, without going into that, uh, the other side of things, because that's, that's a whole, <laughs> sure, you know, we could probably do five shows on that. But the, what I think is so important about it is, especially for people who are you know, weight training, is just the balance, the balance in psychology, the, uh, the different emphasis. Um, you know, weight training is a very high-intensity activity. It requires usually a tremendous amount of focus. And aerobic activity is completely the opposite end of the spectrum if you keep it easy. You know, sprints are obviously a very different animal. But, um, you know, first of all, the you know, increased, increased blood flow can only benefit you. You know, increased aerobic condition can only benefit you even just day to day. Increased blood flow to your brain, increased perfusion, oxygenation of your, your hands, your feet, everything else. But um, also I find, you know, and this is a little more, more touchy-feely, but really just the psychological side of aerobic training. The, the, you know, the, the, the idea of just going out for a, a run in the woods and just mentally having that benefit, being able to lose yourself in your exercise is such a great counter, especially, you know, especially these days. When everything is about information overload, when everything is about, you know, intensity and this, that, and the other, and always being connected and everything else, there is no greater benefit, I think, to to most people than being able to go out for 45 minutes and just shut their brain off. Yeah, another great example and reason why you need to incorporate this. And this is something that's been on my mind lately, Alex, because mm-hmm. I'm doing high frequency body weight training. I'm, I'm really into this gymnastic style training, backed oh, yeah. off the weights, backed off jujitsu. I've got three herniated discs in my neck Oof. that I'm taking care of right now. So heavy deadlifts were, were causing some issues. I had to back off of all this style of training, but I feel like I'm not getting the aerobic conditioning and I don't feel like I'm that out of shape, but with stress levels high because I'm working so much and definitely many of the listeners who who, uh, regularly listen to the show have also told me reducing stress is key. And and you just mentioned another great uh, reason. So let me ask you this for someone. And this question actually comes from Charles Staley who introduced both of us. Yep. So, so Charles wants to know, because he recently, as, as I'm sure he told you, started working in a one-mile run. Mm-hmm. He asks, how would somebody who does not run at all gradually work himself into a running schedule on some level? So I think the most important thing to remember is that you don't have to start out running to really get the benefits of running. Uh, one of the things I, you know, I tell a lot of guys is, 
you you put yourself if, if you're if you're bigger than average, which a lot of guys who do you know any kind of weight training would be. You know, even just walking on an incline at a good clip, and you know, I, I don't mean a you know twenty-five minute mile walk. I mean like a good sixteen, seventeen minute mile walk. That in and of itself can be a tremendous workout. The thing I tell people when they're first starting out is go easy, go easy, go slow, and focus on the the fundamentals and focus on the smooth stride. Because I think you know most of us, you know, regardless of what age, we probably ran at some point in our life, even if it was just you know jogging around the field during football practice in high school, or you know racing around when you were a little kid. You know, with humans, we fundamentally know how to run, but we don't always know how to run efficiently. And for a lot of people who haven't done it in the last you know twenty years. Their body type, their muscle distribution, everything else might be completely different. So the first thing I tell people is don't start out running. Start out walking. Start out fast walking. Start out rucking. You know, a 20-pound pack, something like that. Get yourself used to being on your feet for that long because especially for heavier guys, building up a little bit of that, uh, that structural stability in your ankles and knees, that takes a little bit of time. You look at the, the pounding on your feet, especially, you know, even if you're just a, a 200-pound guy, 190-pound guy, if you haven't run in a long time, your body's not used to that kind of impact of that many steps of even a two-mile run. So I'll tell people, you know, get out there and, and put some miles on your feet before you think about actually getting started on a jogging or running program. And once you decide to make that leap, say you've been doing these, you know, fast walks for a month or two and you say, okay, well, this is getting boring – then you know, I tell people first of all, get yourself a good pair of shoes. Don't don't skimp on that. Don't don't say, ah, you know what? I'm only running a mile or two. I'm just going to use my chucks for that. No, that's that's the worst thing in the world. You know, get yourself in, in, if you're going to invest in nothing else, invest in good footwear. You know, go to a running shop, have them look at your gait, and have them outfit you with something that's going to protect you. It's one of the best investments in the world. I always tell people, take care of your hands, take care of your feet. You know, anything you can do in any athletics that takes care of those two things, keep at them. And then I'll tell them, go easy, set easy goals. Say, you know, do the, do the whole walk run method. Say, do you know what? Today I'm going to go out. I'm going to jog for one minute and walk for two. And I'm going to do that eight times. And then you say next week, I'm going to jog for minute 30 and walk for two. Then jog for two minutes, then walk for two. Then jog for two minutes and walk for one. And slowly work your way up like that. And don't push it too hard. It's just like weight training. You don't go out and say, ah, you know, I'm just going to throw as much weight on the bar and squat it as many times as I can. You say, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to set reasonable expectations. I'm going to work my way into it and be patient. Excellent. So, right. And what you're basically saying is progress or regress as necessary, just like you would in strength training, you wouldn't throw on 500 pounds to start deadlifting. You'd start out 100 pounds, work up to two and three and so on. Yeah, exactly. it makes so much sense, especially uh, if you've been spending a lot of time building muscle but not doing aerobic activity. Yeah, great, great, uh, great advice. And then make sure you invest in a good pair of running shoes. Go to a place where they assess your gait, get the proper running shoes to start walking in before you start running. Yeah, great stuff. And let me ask you this, for the guys who are a bit more beat up, maybe in the knees, the hip, ankle, whatever, what would you tell them to do as an alternative to running? You know, like I said, I, I think walking and hiking is great. I'm a huge fan of cycling. I, you know, and a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, cycling may hurt my knees or whatever else. A lot of that is finding a proper bike fit. I've noticed most people keep their seats way too low, even on the stationary bike. 
they keep their seats way too low. They adjust it up. And I've had guys who've been coming off knee surgery who've had no problems whatsoever with it. You know, I'll tell people to be, be creative with the conditioning that you do. You know, if you're not, if you're not trying to train to be a world-class runner, then it, you don't have to run. You know, you can, you can row, you can do the skier, you can do the Jacob's ladder, you can mix it up and your body will reap those benefits. The most important thing is that it's something that you, even if you don't enjoy it, that you don't completely hate it. It's, and that's, I think that's one of the things that holds people back. And that was actually my problem early on. I said, oh, well, you know, I've got to run. Running is it. Running is all I'm going to do. And, you know, I trained for that. For, you know, after, after I finished my 5K, I signed up for a marathon. I, I think there was beer involved. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right? That inspires most things. Well, yeah. you know, I, I signed up for it and I said, okay, I'm just going to start running a little further every day. And over the next year of training and, you know, two marathons in, I wasn't any better and I hated it. You know, I hated going out and running on the road. And I said, you know, I'm doing this all wrong. You know, I'm trying to do this to be healthy. And all I found is another way to actually, you know, kind of hate, hate what I'm doing. This is supposed to be an escape. And, you know, so then I found cycling and loved it. I started swimming. I loved it. So, you know, tell me people really find something that, that doesn't beat you up and, you know, try to minimize your excuses for not doing it. Yeah. And another thing I wanted to ask you about is something that Joel Jameson recommends in training his athletes. And he works mostly with MMA athletes in case if you're listening right now. And Joel is going to be on the show soon as well. Just uh, had some scheduling issues. But he recommends to do what he calls road work 2.0, where you do, say, shadow boxing for five minutes. Then you do maybe some type of jujitsu drill for five minutes. My question is, because some of the things that you mentioned, Jacob's ladder, doing the doing the bike, those are very repetitious activities. Meaning you're you're working your muscles; the same muscles are staying engaged. But if mm-hmm. you look at say shadow boxing, yeah, the same muscles are working for sure. But it's very like on and off. Does it matter? You know, not hugely. And actually, there was a really interesting piece. If you go to Eric Cressy's blog. He was talking about a, a low-intensity steady-state variant he did for some of his baseball players. And it was an interesting long complex that involved, you know, body weight squats and lunges and, you know, like push-ups. And we're talking light work here. You know, and it would have, I think, overhead swings and things like that. But, you know, with the PVC pipe and, you know, not, not typically things you associate with low-intensity steady-state cardio, but – since you know, the, the, the essential stress on the body was staying the same throughout, it had all the benefits. That's exactly it. Shadow boxing, anything else, being creative, that's great. Uh, you know, as long as, as long as you're keeping that intensity level so low you know, or low enough that you're not jacking up your heart rate because of heavy load, then you're in good shape. So, yeah, when I say be creative, I mean I've got people who just do – their only conditioning will be barbell complexes, but they'll do it with just the bar. And at first, they don't really see the point of using just the bar, but then they realize that the complexes they were doing before, you know, they come from a CrossFit background or something else, it was the actual weight itself that was crushing them by the end of it, not their cardiovascular system. And that was kind of counterproductive. Yeah. So you could even do barbell complexes. I love it because if you have some injuries in the knees, like I do, too much jujitsu and weird, oh, yeah. weird guard work and, and the wrestling, it, it can be a bit tough to even do walking sometimes, Alex, for, for yeah. long periods of time. So that's great. So what you're saying is you really got to keep your heart rate in the right range. So the muscles, the movements, not as important, obviously sports specific. If, mm-hmm. if you're going to 
compete in MMA or a triathlon or a marathon, obviously you need to have that down. But if this is for general health, Mm -hmm. you can use whatever movements and muscles, as long as you keep it under a certain intensity. Can you give the listeners, what is it? We keep our heart rate in 120 to 150. What what do you tell people to do as far as that? You know, I, I usually use heart rate zones, but what I tell people is almost more important than heart rate zones is rate of perceived exertion, you know, the RPE scale. We, you know, when I say zone two training, for example, zone two represents, you know, depending on who you listen to, let's just say roughly 70% of your max heart rate. But what's your max heart rate? You know, because a lot of people say, oh, well, you just do 220 minus age. That'll give you your maximum, then take 70% of that. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, there will be people that I run with or ride with and my maximum heart rate is actually very low. You know, there's a there's a, a pretty – like if I get up to about 165, I am absolutely redlining. That is like an absolute full-out sprint. And there are people I run with where 165, they're cruising along and having a conversation. And, you know, we're, we're roughly the same age. So all those numbers should check out. So what I tell people is, you know, I'll, I'll have them use – you know, the, the carbonin formula, which you can find online to, to check your max heart rate. But then I say go back and establish your own zones. Zone two should be something where you can carry on a conversation while you're doing it. You know, zone three, you can speak about half a sentence at a time. Zone four, you can spit out one word at a time. Zone five, the closest thing you can do is kind of spit profanity. And that's, you know, <laughs> that's usually because, you know, I tell people that's, that's all highly individual. And your heart rate monitor should be your tool after you've established your rate of perceived exertion. You know, again, if you're an absolutely elite athlete, we'll do all other tests. We'll do, you know, lactate threshold test. We'll do a VO2 max test, even though that's not very useful. We'll do a true max heart rate test. We'll do all that stuff to get it really precise. But if you're just looking to get in better shape, use that rate of perceived exertion, then use that to establish your heart rate zones. Yeah, that's, that's really great that you're mentioning this because I read a book a few years back called Heart Rate Training by Roy Benson and Declan yep. Connolly. And they yep. were saying specifically that some people's hearts are bigger, some people's hearts are smaller, and there will be these individual variations. So even more important than trying to, to figure out your heart rate zone with the Carvonin formula, which I'll have as a resource, by the way, and I'll also have Eric Cressy's uh, mobility cardi- uh, aerobic uh, workout yeah. in the show notes as well, if you want to mm-hmm. check that out. But so we have these individual variances and what you're saying is we need to figure it out based on rate of perceived, our own rate of perceived exertion. So right. carrying a conversation needs to be what we're shooting for. Right. And you know, it, it's funny because as, as I say that, I can think of all these immediate exceptions. Like, uh, you know, for example, we work with a lot of guys in the military you know, for obvious reasons, you know, they, a lot of them want to be strong. They want to stay strong, but they also have, you know, they have requirements they've got to test. I, we've worked with, God, I don't even know the number off the top of my head, at least 50 guys who've gone through various selections at this point. And, you know, a lot of these guys, what they consider a hard exertion isn't always what the average person would consider challenging. You know, I, I still remember that I was, um, sorry for the sidetrack, but I still remember a, uh, a case here where, you know, I, I was, I was programming for this guy and, you know, I looked at his feedback from the previous day and he said, yeah, you know, the run went kind of slow today. My broken ankle was flaring up. Ah, oh, yeah, well, exactly. Well, but then I said, well, okay, so broken ankle, when did this happen? I looked back through his notes. I couldn't find it anyway. I said, where did the, when, when did this happen? He says, oh, it happened last week during my trail run, but you know, I wrapped it up and it felt fine. So I didn't think I'd tell you about it. Oh, man. <laughs> so, Mentally tough, right? Not another level. 
Exactly. So it's, you know, it's, it's all about being honest with your zone too, is, you know, especially uh, guys in the military and, and CrossFitters have stop and a hundred percent. I think that's all they really know. So, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, okay, let's try to find something in between here that's sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> if you're a type A personality or a CrossFitter or a military guy, make sure you're being honest about what level you're you're working at so you get the right results and not just uh, a mental toughness workout but you actually exactly. improve your aerobic system too exactly so less is more so we've talked all about aerobic exercise which i'm glad because i i believe that you're someone who's breaking through the the bullshit frankly in the industry where it's like oh bro you're gonna raise your cortisol levels and you're gonna get fat you're gonna store body fat if you do long slow uh, aerobic training man and and you're kind of coming out and showing people exactly what's going on and how you can have even the best of both worlds so you're not that high intensity freak who can't you know can go for short intense bursts but can't walk a couple miles without feel, you know having to stop a few times so yeah, you sorry. have a method called hybrid training let's talk about other core concepts other than the aerobic exercise obviously and then let's mm -hmm. talk about some of the case studies and and then we'll get into the stuff that everybody on facebook was asking about which is the supplementation and performance enhancing drugs Oh, that's a fun one. Yeah, no. So the, the the whole hybrid training, essentially, what it is, and it comes down to a couple very simple concepts. One of which, uh, you know, Chad Smith of Juggernaut talks about all the time, and that's a consolidation of stressors. The whole idea that your high intensity work needs to go together and your low intensity work needs to go together. Volume and intensity are the two things that you need to manage. And you know, volume, how much work you're doing, intensity, how heavy the work is, how hard it is. Because not only are you trying to divide up, you know, you, you only have a limited physical capacity for recovery. You can't lift heavy every single day. You can't sprint every single day. You've got to be selective. But you also only have a, a small amount of mental capacity to do those things. Getting fired up every single day for a max set or a 50-meter sprint or 100-meter sprint, like that's exhausting. So the core concept is this, and it says – you can't think about endurance and strength training as two different things. If you try to think about them as two different separate entities, you're going to go wrong. And that was a mistake I made very early on. I had my lifting routine and I followed a marathon program on top of that and it was way too much work and some days I was absolutely ground into the dirt and the marathon plan would have me resting on days when I had energy and running you know, 10 miles on days when I had no energy. And so what I started doing is saying, well, let's do it this way. Let's say, let's say I'm, I'm doing heavy squats today. Right after I finish the heavy squats, maybe that's when I should be doing my speed work. You know, I'm already sure. in a high-intensity mindset. So why not take advantage of that and do that all at the same time? And then later in the week, I'm going to be burnt out from heavy squats and sprints and heavy bench and this, that, and the other. Later in the week, let's say, you know what, I'm going to do my volume work later in the week. I'm going to do my hypertrophy work in the squats, and I'm going to do my long, slow run. The nice thing is also I can eat more on those days because there's a lot more activity going on, and then I can cut my calories back on the high-intensity days because I'm not doing as much total work. And that really let me say, okay, you know what, the, the, the biggest mistake with, with endurance activities, of course, is not eating enough. Because then you lose the point of the workout. And obviously, the same thing with weight training. So it let me stay intense when I needed to stay intense. 
It let me have the energy to do those long workouts when I needed them. And since there's such different kinds of stress, you can recover. You know, you're not heavy squatting again until about a week has gone between. So you feel physically and, and mentally refreshed by the time you get to it. And so that basically strength and endurance, putting those together and thinking about it in terms of stressors rather than in terms of categories is really what kind of brought it together for me. Yeah. And Alex, would you call that, I think you referred to it as concurrent training. Does this have to do with block periodization as well? Can you explain the method behind the madness there where it's like adding these different energy system, different types of exercise all together and how they work? Because some people say, your high intense intervals, high intensity intervals in hypertrophy training doesn't necessarily go with other styles of training. Can can you just explain all that? Sure. Yeah. So that's you know the the, the what I just talked about there was the microcycle. That's that's your training week. Um, obviously, that's not the entirety of your training. The difficult thing, of course, about a lot of this kind of training is you know if if we're working with athletes, then you know, uh, running and triathlon may have a season, but powerlifting certainly doesn't, you know, strongman certainly doesn't. They do these things year round. So conventional block periodization where, you know, you have your, you know, your base phase, you know, your accumulation, your realization or whatever else you want to call them, that doesn't always necessarily work. But we do tend to program with a gradually more specific emphasis as we go along. You know, if somebody just wants to generally have good aerobic conditioning and be strong, we can essentially just run that same microcycle ad nauseum and say, well, we don't really have to change that much because you can develop all these things at once. And, you know, this person's not trying to go from running two miles to running 20 miles. So what would be the point in giving them a very long off season where they're doing, you know, nothing but low intensity work? And, um, you know, in fact, there's even a school of thought now that says, you know, that, that low intensity off season work doesn't really make sense anyway. But say somebody has, has an event coming up, we will, in fact, say, okay, the first part of the year, we're going to focus on the fundamental movements. Say we've got somebody training for military selection or something like that. We're going to back up and we're going to say, okay, five months out, what does this person need? We need to build their aerobic base and we need to build fundamental general strength. So we'll say, okay, we're not going to focus. We're not going to worry too much about the sprints right now. Because, you know, they're, they're not going to have to be even passing any, you know, PT tests until much later on. We're going to say we're going to focus on, on getting their, their aerobic base. We're going to focus on building up those ankles and knees. We're going to focus on two to three hour long weekend easy workouts. And we're going to focus on the squat and deadlift. That's how we're going to structure it. And we're going to say, okay, we're going to follow this same basic volume and intensity undulating structure. But we're going to start this five months out with just the basics. As we get closer and closer and closer to what they want to do, we say, okay, well, they don't need to be putting in, you know, depending on the, the service, of course, they don't need to be putting in a lot of this slow base work. That's not doing them any good. So we're going to raise the intensity of this base work a little bit. And, you know, we're going to shift from doing sprints to doing something a little more long distance. And we're going to incorporate weighted carries. So it's a little bit of that pyramid concept where you start out with a wide, very general base of you know, very, very general strength and very general aerobic training. And as time goes on, you slowly narrow things down to what the athlete specifically needs to be working on. But, um, you know, I got to say one of the, one of the strengths of the system is that it's so individual. I don't think out of any of those athletes, we ever run two of them on the exact same program. It's highly customizable as long as you keep those basic principles in mind. Yeah. And you have a book called hybrid training and it goes into all of this, what you're yes. talking about here. 
Yep. Yeah. Can you tell people, I mean, at the end, we'll we'll plug some more, but just for anybody who wants to learn specifically about this, where would they get that book? Yeah, it's actually on a JTS, Juggernaut Training Systems website. It's called The Hybrid Athlete. It's under their ebook section. And it really is just um, it, kind of an overview of the stuff I learned over the years, you know, through trial and error and probably more error than anything else. But um, it really kind of summarizes the whole idea the the micro cycles the macro cycles and especially which I think is uh, probably the most interesting part is you know considerations that strength athletes or larger athletes need to need to think about when they start endurance training and considerations that endurance people need to think about when they go to strength training because they're very different physical and psychological backgrounds that leads to some fairly common issues. Yeah, what I love about this is it's really about being well rounded. Yes. It's about having the best of both worlds, figuring out what balance works for you, your life, your needs, your goals, whether you play a certain sport or not, and and being intelligent about how you design it because it's a human body. It's the, the one, only one you'll have. We can't count on stem cells or any of the other <laughs> stuff yet. So we really need to take great care of it to be our best in not just for ourselves and looking good naked, but for our families, for our jobs, for our business. So I, I love this approach, man. I'm totally psyched. And let's get into some of the case studies because you have some great stories of success with your methods, not just yourself in competing in ultra marathons and squatting 800 and deadlifting 700, but you have a lot of people, over 700 athletes that you've coached so far. Can you just share a couple of the stories? That, yeah. that really speak to you, maybe. Yeah, and that's you know that's really been the fun thing over the last couple of years is it, well, first of all, the main thing is we've got a team of actually twenty coaches in my company, and that's you know I realized early on, yes, you know I I, I know a lot of the, the the bits and pieces that put things together, and I have my areas of expertise, but I'm going to do everything possible to bring in specialists who know their sport backwards and forwards. And so, you know, when we work with people, it's been such a great learning experience because, you know, I'll have, I have a triathlon coach or an ultra running coach or, you know, a, a world-class powerlifting coach designing these people's programs or a portion of the programs. And, you know, I get to kind of mooch off that. Ah, so that's I like it. Really, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's why I have a podcast, Alex. <laughs> In <laughs> part. The you want to ask. There you go. Be like, In hey, just design a sample routine at the end and send it my way. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, so, you know, it's and it's been a lot of fun. I mean, the variety we worked with, we had a, a guy in his 70s who did the uh, the grand to grand ultra marathon. It's a multiple day stage race. We've had a, you know, a 16 year old power lifter. We've had um, we've got a guy right now who's doing, you know, a marathon on every continent over the course of about a week and a half or something like that. Something crazy. I don't know. I don't coach him. That's too crazy even for me. But yeah, we, we've had a lot of these case studies. And like I said, like the, the, the individual you mentioned uh, comes from a strongman powerlifting background. And, uh, you know, he, he decided he wanted to just start running to just generally get in better shape and, you know, set a goal that he would do a 10K and uh, about two months ago, he ran his first one. And, you know, it was the kind of thing where you know, mentally it was just such a victory because, you know, this is a guy who's also, you know, he's coaching high school athletes as well. And he likes being able to, you know, feel like he can, he can walk the walk as well. Nothing worse than telling people to take a couple laps when you feel like you yourself can't. And, you know, it's him and a few others, especially a lot of these uh, the super heavyweight guys, they said, you know what, I've, I've had fun with strength sports, I've had fun with what I'm doing, but, you know, I want to be around to play with my kids. 
And that, that, that hit me hard, man. It, that really hit me yeah. hard because, you know, you, there was a, there was a great piece that, um, you know, Rich, Rich Tilden wrote on Elite FTS about the use of a CPAP machine, the, the continuous positive airway pressure machine. And he said, you know, you're, you, you get big, you get strong, but you're, you're, you're dying. You know, you, you feel like a bit of a prisoner in your own body. And being able to work with some of these these bigger guys and, and, and these bigger girls and have them say, you know what, I I feel like I'm not a prisoner in this body anymore. It's that's amazingly gratifying. So that was a lot of fun. You know, we work with a uh, a guy who competed in Worlds in uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu as, as a brown belt this year, and he just decided for the heck of it, he wanted to run a 50k, doing no special training or preparation for it whatsoever. We had about a six week lead up to it where we just bumped up his running volume a little bit. He went out and did his first 50k. So you know, we've had cases like that. You know, we we have a guy who in his first uh, triathlon, you know, he came from kind of a strength training background. His first triathlon, he uh, you know came in what was it eighth in his age group. Wow. So yeah, so it's it's just fun, and you know the most of the case studies are people who didn't even necessarily think that they were going to compete in whatever sport they did compete in, and they just went out and they said, you know, hey, holy, I'm really good at this. So that's um yeah, those have been some of the best ones, and you know we we've got our great record with guys who've gone through selection, special forces, uh, you know, a lot of those kind of things, but. I got to be honest, it's the case studies of the people who are just, they didn't know that they were capable of doing these things that I really like. I mean, you know, two brothers who had done nothing but, you know, weight training off and on during their life who did their first Ironman after having not been able to run more than half a mile. They did it because their dad had done a couple and, you know, they got to cross the finish line with him. And I think that's why I'm here. That's the kind of stuff that just sticks with me. I love that, man, because that's where I come from. I, I love to work with people who don't identify themselves as fitness people or yes. and don't really see the progress that they're they're capable of, their potential, and taking yes. them, and they're totally blown away. And yes. uh, I work with very successful business people who are very usually unsuccessful at taking great care of their bodies in the process. Uh -huh. So I, I hear you, man. And uh, athletes are great, but when it's like, okay, I'm a badass. Can you make me 2.35% more badass? <laughs> and you write a whole program just to do that. And then, and you're not even sure if it was really the program, if they could have done something else and got the same results just because they're such a freak of nature and, and just an excellent athlete. It's, it's not who I want to work with. Of course, uh, nothing wrong with that, but I, I hear you. I love that. There's so many people who don't realize their untapped potential and that's what you're helping them do. So I'm a kindred spirit in that respect. Yeah. And you know that, and that's, what's so fun because, you know, I, I know I'm never going to be a, a podium finishing triathlete. You know, I know I'm never going to be a world-class power lifter, you know, I, cause you know, the people at the top of the game here, they're on a whole nother level. I mean, you know, I, I can watch people literally rep out what I, you know, rep out my max and I just kind of shrug and say, well, okay, that was fun. You know, <laughs> I look at these cyclists on the tour de France and they're putting down power for three hours on a climb that I can put down for two minutes and I go, okay, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm cool with that. But you know, it's, it's the, the joy has been trying all these different things and knowing that, you know, it sounds crazy to people because I think they just haven't tried it. Yeah. And they'd be so surprised at how well they can do because, you know, when all you've got is voices telling you, you can't do this, this is wrong. You won't be able to do this, blah, blah, blah. It's self-fulfilling and it makes it easy to give up. It makes it easy to think, oh, well, you know what, I, you know, I, I shouldn't be running anyway. But 
once you realize, wait a minute, not only can I, but my coach is expecting me to, <laughs> suddenly it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, and it changes who you are and what you're capable of. I love that, man. Yeah. It's so true. We, we live in a, a climate right now, at least in the U.S., where there's more opportunity than ever, oh, not yeah. just online and, and all the business opportunity and all the you know people making apps or, or starting online businesses, but also of knowledge. That's how you figured all this stuff out. You, you had trial and error, but you've figured out this awesome process, this, this hybrid training approach, and it opens up the ability for more people to benefit from it. So if you're listening right now and you have an idea of competing in a triathlon or a marathon or anything like that, I highly suggest you hit up Alex, see what the deal is with the coaching and get some solid programming, some solid coaching for the sport, but really start to test yourself and do it in a way that is going to set you up for success with someone who's experienced in, in the sport and with coaching people. I'm so hyped up right now. I'm, I'm pumped up talking to you, Alex. I love it, man. You've got great energy and you're a person who's busting up ideas, misconceptions, if you will, about what is possible with the human body. I love it. Yeah, and it's it's funny because you know like I said I, I talk about my coaches a lot because you know some of them are just so damn cool. But you know, like uh, one of the guys who coaches ultra running for us, you know, he can run a fifty k at a you know at a, at a in like a six thirty pace and faster. And wow, you know, that's a hilly course. And you know, just looking at people like this, and I realize like these you know these these people may not just be genetic freaks. They just had nobody telling them they can't do it. And you know, that's that's always been the, the thing for me that's been fun is just being able to support people because a lot of people want to do these things and they're tired of being told, oh, you know, you're a lifter, you shouldn't be doing that or, oh, you're a runner, you shouldn't be strength training. And, you know, working with a guy who's been, you know, messing around with triathlons for a couple of years and has a lot of fun, but he says, hey, you know what, I want to see what powerlifting is about. And, you know, none of my triathlon buddies want to do it with me. So, you know, I came to you guys and I, you know, I can, I can hook them up with any one of my powerlifting coaches and they have a great time with it. Like to me, it's all fun at the end of the day. Besides what you've done for health, what the heck else are we doing this for? It's about having fun. It's about finding ways to push yourself. It's trying something new. It's going outside your comfort zone. And man, you know, you show up to have these events and yeah, you know, there are always people who are negative, but the powerlifting community, when you go to events, there is nothing more supportive. You know, ultra runners, when you go out there, it's like you're, you're family and you just met each other. You just meet so many good people from so many different walks of life. And, you know, it's just, it's been awesome. I love it. And I feel like we could have you back so many more times. We could talk for hours. In fact, we're not <laughs> going to be able to get to the nutrition or supplementation. I'd like to have you back on at a later date. But right now I want to address what we were just kind of talking about in a sense, and that is the potential, our potential as human beings. And someone asked on the post that I made on Facebook when I said I was going to be interviewing you, mm -hmm. and someone asked about supplementing with hormones or HRT, I guess is the proper term. And yeah. you said you've worked with a lot of athletes and you'd be happy to talk about what's possible with it and without. And uh, yeah, it's a hot topic. And 
Their hormone replacement is huge. I've worked with a doctor, a plastic surgeon, actually, who started doing the Cynogenics anti-aging, which is basically, you know, hormone replacement with mm -hmm. some supplements like DHEA yep. and, you yep. know, whatever. So what do you have to say about the whole thing as far as HRT, as far as hormones? And let's just keep it to that. And we'll have you back on another date to talk about nutrition and supplementation. Yeah, especially because I want to talk about a lot of, you know, what's going on right now, especially in ultra running. You look at Lance breaking into it and people talking about PEDs here and there. But basically, you know, my, my thoughts on it are a couple things. And, you know, I know HRT is a big one for people because a lot of people question whether or not they should go on it. Absolutely. Um, it's something you know, I get asked about a lot and I'm no expert to be uh, talking about it really. Well, you know, and to be entirely honest, I think HRT for, for men is, is actually a great thing as long as it's done reasonably past a certain age because it really makes such a massive, massive difference in psychology. There's nothing more frustrating. You know, for guys, you know, people make jokes about, you know, erectile dysfunction and sexual dysfunction and all these things. And, you know, it's kind of seen as this kind of, haha, you know, joke about it, review about it, humor. But for a lot of guys, it's devastating. You know, it, it really is. And it's such a lousy thing for your lifestyle when, you know, you, you're in your mid-30s and you say you get your hormone levels just because you got no interest. You can't keep on muscle. You feel slow. You feel sluggish. You feel depressed. You can't even, you know, you're, <laughs> you're having sexual dysfunction, all these things. And you say, God, this is what happened to my quality of life. And, you know, being able to actually get on HRT, some people say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's doping, it's steroids, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it is an advantage over being natural. I will say that. There's a specific reason for it. And I don't believe that if you're on HRT, you should be able to compete in tested events. But, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that the way I view it is a medication like any other. And if it improves your quality of life, if it's done safely, yes, you know, it's not the greatest thing if you're 65 years old and trying to keep the androgen levels of a 20-year-old. You know, there, there's a reason it tapers off. It can start to lead to cardiac issues and the like. But, you know, for a lot of guys in their 30s and 40s, it's a very realistic possibility. And, you know, if you've, if you've had kids already, it's what's – I don't see the harm, physically speaking. I mean, we're – it's about adding, you know, adding life to your years at that point. And, uh, you know, I found a lot of people who get on and say, hey, you know what? It's all the difference in the world. You know, I didn't, I didn't turn into Arnold after I started taking them, but I feel motivated to get through my workouts and, you know, I can actually have fun again. And, you know, the only reason I would say that it, you shouldn't compete in anything tested is, you know, first and foremost, I am adamantly against, obviously, any kind of drug cheating at all. But a lot of people say, oh, well, you should get a therapeutic use uh, exemption for HRT. One of the hardest things about competing in athletics is managing those hormone levels. You know, you train too hard and your testosterone levels can drop. You know, you you push yourself too hard. You eat I've too I've done little. that, Alex. It's not oh, yeah. fun. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. You know, we, and, you know, and say HRT, by taking in exogenous hormones, you can push yourself a little bit harder without those issues. So it already changes the game. But – if you you know if you're in those conditions, you say, well, you know what, my happiness is important to me. I don't have to compete in the you know tested drug division. I can just go compete in the open division. Great, you know, I'm still having fun. I'm not trying to you know win a podium spot here. You know, I'd say I'd say it's a trade off for a lot of people, but I you know I think it's getting less and less stigmatized. But I think it's something that you know a, a lot of people should quite honestly look into. Interesting. So let me bring up this because this is one of the issues that I have personally 
with uh, HRT. I am not on HRT, by the way, although I have experimented with steroids in the past. I, I, I don't think I've ever said this on an interview or on my show before, but whenever people ask me about it, I tell them. But in my 20s, I had a client who to, wanted to go on a cycle of anabolic steroids, and they mm -hmm. found a doctor to do it. And he was like, hey, if you want to do it, I'll pay for you. And he was much older than me, but I was like, I've never done it before. Sure. And so, so I did it. I think it was a three month cycle. I don't remember all the details and I'm certainly no expert when it comes to knowing levels and knowing how much testosterone or decadurabulin I was taking or all that. But it was an interesting experience. I tell you, it was the best I felt great all the time. So, but did I really need it then? I would say no. So there, there are, we know that sleep deprivation can kill your testosterone. We know that certain micronutrient deficiencies like zinc, magnesium, we know that vitamin D can affect testosterone as well. What do you have to say about looking into lifestyle first, or do you think someone should get on the HRT and then that will make them more likely to take their lifestyle and live a healthier lifestyle? How do you look at that? What's your perspective? Yeah, that's, that's very interesting because there's a lot of psychology there involved. The thing I can say is if you don't address those other issues, first and foremost, you're still not going to feel great. So, you know, I, I've actually posted about the, the use of a CPAP before because, again, a lot of people, once you get past a certain body weight, doesn't matter if it's lean, doesn't matter if it's fat, you'll start to have issues like that. You know, again, people joke about snoring at night all the time like it's funny, but in some cases it could be really serious. What, you know, what are you I, saying about this? What would you say CPAP? Yeah, CPAP, the continuous positive airway pressure device. If you've seen those masks that some people wear to sleep. Yeah. It, yeah. That's actually hugely important. That's a condition called sleep apnea. Sure. You know, a lot of people, especially a lot of lifters, because, you know, they tend to be a little bigger than average people, are affected by it. But there's actually a pretty big genetic component to it as well. People can be predisposed to it. And it's one thing that affects a lot of people later in life that they don't even realize it is, you know, with, with sleep apnea, you can actually stop breathing multiple times at night. You essentially start suffocating and it wakes you up out of deep sleep to roll over and, you know, you'll snore very loudly and, you know, things like that happen. And, you know, if you're getting woken up, if you're not getting any of your deep recuperative sleep, that can really, really wreak havoc on your hormone levels. And, you know, so it's diet, stress, lack of sleep, all those kind of things can affect it first and foremost. And, you know, I, the most important thing is to get those checked out first every single time. Wait, you know? What do you recommend as far as hormonal panel. And of course there's your standard panel that your doctor gives you, but is there anything that you like to use to check for certain micronutrients? You know, as long as uh, I basically always tell people to get their thyroid panel done, they get their vitamin D checked in particular, you know, other than that, and of course your, you know, uh, free testosterone and sex hormone binding globulin and a couple of those other ones, which, you know, most doctors who might be interested in doing HRT in the beginning with would know of. I think those are the most important, you know, micronutrients. <laughs> it's funny because this is a whole other conversation, but um, micronutrients are actually given in this day and age with this many fortified foods. It's, it hasn't been a problem, but 
what's interesting is that a lot of people who switch to you know raw diets or non-processed foods, if they're not taking extra steps to make sure that they're getting a wide variety of them, they're missing out on a lot of these vitamins and minerals that you are getting from fortified and processed foods, which I thought was interesting. That is, I, you know what, I've never thought about that, but yeah, right. All these foods are in vitamin enriched. Yep. Sure. And so growing on a whole food diet is great, but you know, make sure you're getting a dozen different kinds of produce and make sure you're getting eight, nine different types of protein sources to get all those trace nutrients. It never used to see it that much, but actually, uh, actually had a couple of cases that I've been working with people on very, very clean, uh, you know, quote unquote, clean, organic, holistic, no processed food diets I actually had certain vitamin and mineral deficiencies and weren't even aware of it. I love this because part of what I'm trying to do, Alex, is get, I guess, quote unquote, the truth out, meaning a more objective perspective on what's going on. So organic is great. Whole food diets are great. You know, paleo only eating what grows in the ground or runs on the earth or flies in the sky, swims in the ocean. But mm -hmm. you have to understand there's pros and cons to everything. Right, exactly. And you talk about, you know, the people talk about how, oh, our soil is not as nutrient rich as it used to be. And yeah, that may very well be true. So our fruits and vegetables that are, are grown on our soil, are they as wide in in micronutrients and, you know, phytonutrients and everything else as foods were, say, 200 years ago? Maybe not. So, you know, it's just, it, you know, and my thing is always, a, I, I joke about this with people, my whole thing is avoiding excess not being such a, a dedicated lifter that you never run, not being such a dedicated runner that you never lift, not getting carried away with your diet, not being the booze hound, but not avoiding the occasional beer. You know, it's, I, I hate to say it, but moderation allows for more extremes than being extreme all the time does because you can't do great things if, if you're fundamentally unhealthy. And that's, that's kind of the way I, I've always seen it. Well, you'd be happy to know that I had a chocolate croissant this morning, Alex. Outstanding. So. <laughs> <laughs> Probably made with enriched uh, vitamin-fortified, gluten-filled flour. So <laughs> there you go. But uh, yeah, let, let's bring it back to the hormones. So you talked about the hormone panel. You've also mentioned age. We've already talked about the things that we need to be aware of in the first place because mm -hmm. hormone replacement won't make you feel great if you're getting three hours of sleep a night. But you, you talked about age. Let's start there. Then let's talk about what type of approach you take with your athletes who are either taking HRT or interested in HRT. So, you know, as far as going back, you know, once the panel is done, if they figure this is an approach they need to take, you know, the first thing I always say is, you know, please, please go through your doctor and go through your insurance. Don't get the stuff out of a bathtub because you think 400 milligrams is going to be better than 200 milligrams because I do get that a lot. And, you know, I have a lot of clients who are interested in the use of pro-hormones and selective androgen receptor modulators and all these other things. And you know what, what I always tell them is the same thing is that look, you know, if you if you need the stuff, then I would just go with <laughs> go with the straight testosterone replacement because that's been tried. It's tried and true. And you know, if I've got clients that are interested in it, you know, that I've booted clients before for asking how to, you know, help cheat their next test or they want to compete in the USAPL, but they want to take hormones as well. And you know, that's again, that's that's such an ethically sticky thing, but you know, for the most part, it's not my job to judge them one way or another for it. You know, I've, I've got to be—I've got to be honest as well. I've taken, in fact, in, in past years, many years past, 
I took entirely too much of a lot of that stuff. It's been part of the whole process in the last couple of years is, is learning how to work without it or with only very small amounts of it for better or for worse. And I want to make sure that they don't see this as the one missing link that's going to suddenly make everything turn around. That's, I think, the most important thing is it's too tempting to say, well, my testosterone levels are low, so if I, if I get on HRT, I'll be able to lift more and you know, I'll, I'll want to jump into bed with my wife again and blah, blah, blah. And you say, well, you know what? That might not be it either. You, know, it, you can expect to feel a little better, but don't think this is going to be the you know, panacea. This is, it's going to help out, but you need to get everything else in order first. So let's just proceed as if you weren't on it at all. Yeah, great. So let's talk about levels because there, if you go to your doctor and get your levels taken, I guess the, the uh, range is different for different labs. The ones that I've seen go from 300 nanograms per deciliter. I believe the, mm-hmm. the units were to yeah. maybe, I think it was 1200 or 1100 or a thousand. I forget exactly. I think mm-hmm. it was 1200. Yep. And uh, the synogenics guy that I worked with, they have a much tighter range. So if you're below, I think five or 600, again, I, I'm, I'm no expert in this and I'm, I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. If you're below that, they want to get you on replacement. What do you think about that? I honestly, I agree with that for the most part. But again, that's, that's making sure all lifestyle factors are in play because 450 to 500 nanograms per deciliter, if you're well-rested, you know, low stress and everything else, you're going to feel a heck of a lot better than 450 if you're sleep-deprived and anxious and everything else. So, you know, it, right around that 450 to about 550 range is the point where you may not even be symptomatic of low testosterone. It may very well be other factors. Once you start getting down into the 400, 300, 200, I, I'd say definitely. That's when we start seeing people that have real problems. But, you know, prior to that, levels any higher than that, it's really a big question mark. And it's very much a, you know, a a personal call. Yeah. And that's when you can start having excess estrogen levels and maybe the potential of cardiac incidents happening. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's the other thing, you know, when, if you get a blood panel done, it's not going to just, there, there's more to the equation than just testosterone. And that's the other thing I, you know, I want people to be aware of is that, you know, when they're, when they're feeling depressed or they're feeling weak or they're feeling, it could be any number of things. And that's why I say, look, don't just think, oh, you know what? I got to have low T. I'm going to go get that checked and, you know, pop myself on HRT get those other things checked, you know, get that thyroid panel done, get a lot of other things done, make sure you're covering your bases because there's nothing worse than thinking you found the issue and going down one path and realizing too late that that wasn't it at all. Yeah, no, great advice for sure. Testosterone's a hot topic, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's your issue if right. you present with symptoms of fatigue of low sex drive or whatever it is, it could be something different. So make sure you get together with someone. Do you have someone that you recommend or do you have a a certain method of like synogenics, any groups that you can recommend? Actually, no, I don't. You know, I'm, I'm actually very much in favor of people building a rapport with their individual, with their primary care and with a good endocrinologist. You know, I know there are a lot of, you know, larger groups out there that, that may seem to, you know, understand and people say, oh, well, you should talk to this guy for HRT and it may seem like the answer. But, 
you know, I, I, I try to stay neutral to that. I don't want to be seen as ever pushing somebody in one direction or the other. So I, I, I generally try to stay out of it, you know, especially because it's such a hot topic right now. Yeah, and I appreciate that. Uh, one of the things I try to do is have different perspectives on this show so that people can make up their own minds. And you have this perspective. The Cinegenics guys have another perspective. And I've had other guests who've shared their perspectives that differ from yours. So if you're hearing this, listen to all of them. Make See what makes sense for you. Definitely do have your levels checked. Be Take this seriously. Get measurements done and make sure you uh, are getting with someone who does this for for a job and really understands because the the, the endocrine system is so complex. It, it's it's pretty pretty crazy. So you need someone who's going to be critical about it and and do their due diligence when it comes to understanding it and how to help you. Yeah, and you know, I, I know there's there's still very much you know people who poo poo the medical profession, saying, "Oh, well, your doctor doesn't understand." And you know, at, at this point, living where I live right now, I worked in clinical trials for many years. You know, I, I have friends and family who are physicians. You know, and they they really do know what they're talking about. I mean, they may not necessarily speak to your story in particular, but there's usually a reason when they're cautious. And you know, I, I always tend to be a bit counter because. You know, I firmly believe that if people actually followed the food pyramid, they'd be pretty healthy. Just nobody does. And, you know, if people listen to their to their physical therapist and primary care provider, they'd probably be doing pretty well, but they never actually do. So, you know, I, I think the average physician probably has pretty good insight. That's not saying don't get a second opinion. You know, always get a second opinion. But if they tend to be cautious and tell you, oh, well, let's not put you on HRT just yet, they may have something that they're thinking of. Give them the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, really, really just, you know, realize that anytime you make a move like this, anytime you put any kind of prescription medication into your body, you're, you're changing things fundamentally and you're muddying the waters and you really need to know what's going on before you say, aha, I found the answer. Yeah. And your body is smart, right? It, for, for things that you put in it, it will do, it will have a reaction. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I like that approach. I, I think it's important to hear. And absolutely. I mean, medical doctors became doctors for a reason because they studied the foundational sciences involved in clinical medicine. So yeah, it, it, <laughs> it is, it is a mess out there. I, I want to have some different groups of doctors on and, and see where they go with each other, but you know, for another uh, if you're if you're familiar with uh, Spencer Dolsky and his brother, they're, yeah. they're 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 great on the issue. In fact, I, I would love to hear you discuss this with them, because you know Spencer works in a, basically anti obesity, and his brother works in endocrinology. So they they would be an excellent duo to discuss this with. Yeah, and I, I I've had them on the show, but I I need to have them back. I know Spencer's yes. written a book, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's another doctor, Doctor. Uh, Kirk Parsley, are you familiar with him? Yes, I've heard the name. Yeah, I'll try to get a group of them on and uh, uh, see what happens. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> that, that would be an interesting roundtable right there. <laughs> I'll just make sure I'm, I'm quick to duck. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think they're good guys. And we all want the same thing. We want to help people take better care of themselves to optimize their health and without getting too crazy about it. So yeah. you, you mentioned some, uh, some good guys and yeah, absolutely. Well, 
This has been an amazing talk. I know we're like an hour and 10 into it. And I feel like we <laughs> easily talk for another couple hours. I know I, I want to have you back to discuss the nutrition and supplementation. I've heard you talk about it before. Uh, I love hearing people who are just so knowledgeable, people who've really done their research and understand where things fit in. So we, we need to definitely do that, but it's been a pleasure connecting with you, Alex. And, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to help promote you to more people who need to hear your message and, and your, your information. That would be great. Like I said, I really appreciate it. And I, you know, I, I always appreciate being able to talk about more, you know, real, real life issues and, you know, cause sports, athletics, everything else, they're great. It's my passion. It's what I do and everything else, but it's really the, the lifestyle behind it. It's the human behind it that I think is at the end of the day what we're all trying to build here. And, you know, I think, I think bringing that title to the forefront again of all these things is, you know, the, all the, the, the greatest performance in the world is meaningless if, if fundamentally you're not taking care of the person who's, uh, who's behind it. So I really appreciate the opportunity to discuss a lot of this. Awesome, Alex. And for anyone who connects with your message, they're like, man, this guy's awesome. He understands training in a way I've never heard before. Where can they find you? Honestly, best place is I, we either have a website at completehumanperformance.com. You know, you can read about our coaching team. We've got some client highlights up just to kind of show the stuff we're doing. We got a whole bunch of articles. And, or just, you know, follow me on Facebook. I'm, I, I'm occasionally somewhat informative, even though most of the time it's usually pretty snarky. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always publicly available there. So, you know, hit me up if you've got a question. I, I can't say I'm necessarily going to get it. But, you know, it's, I usually try to keep it entertaining. Yeah. And uh, it's so funny because we can, well, at least I've been following you on your Facebook for a while and, and you do put up <laughs> some great stuff. So you should go and add Alex before he gets maxed out on his friends list because he puts up not only some great information on training, but also some entertaining stuff as well. So great. <laughs> and I'll have the link to your, your book, Hybrid Training, as well. And yeah. man, how about some final words for the people listening just to bring home the message? Yeah, you know, the, I, I guess the final words I just got to say is, you know, at, like I tell everyone at the end of the day, this is this, this entire – most people started in, in athletics, in, in fitness and everything else because you want to be healthy and because you want to feel good and you want to look good. And I think it's so easy to get carried away with you know with the birth science. Here's what you should do and here's what you shouldn't do and all that, that it's easy to lose sight of it. And I think half the reason I got into this and half the reason I do all this you know silly stuff like you know run ultras at 235 pounds is it's just because it's fun. And, you know, because it gives me something new to try out and it gives me new people to meet and it gives me a new way to challenge myself. And that's, you know, that's, that's what it's about at the end of the day is, you know, don't, don't set limitations based on what you think you should do, because there are, you know, people were doing a lot of crazy stuff long before anyone told them they couldn't do it. So, you know, like you said, have, have fun. Don't, don't set too many limitations and, and keep a smile on your face. Don't take it too seriously. Alex Viata, love it, man. Thanks so much for being on the show. And I hope this is just the first of many in the future. Hey, likewise. Thank you very much again. Great talking with you. 